0: see and all these things shall be added unto you
1: old songs are milestones for some of us these are songs that um, we sang when God delivered us from the world of bondage some of these old songs are milestones when God healed someone in our life they're milestones when we got saved and sometimes it's good to go back and revisit those ancient milestones and praise God for all that he's brought us through and they are also reminders of his faithfulness throughout the many years Psalm 113, verses 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the, Lo- the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens.
0: Don't you know it's time to praise the Lord In the sanctuary of His Holy Spirit So set your mind on Him And let your praise begin And the glory of the Lord will fill this place Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 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 He lives within the praises of his people. He loves to hear us call upon his name. So set your mind on him and let your praise begin, and the glory of the Lord will fill this place. Praise the Lord.
1: It's alright to clap. It won't hurt your
0: hands too much. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of the King rise among us. Let rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise. The glory of the king rise among among us. Let it rise. rise. Ooh, let it rise. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. us. Let the glory of the Lord. Of the king, rise among us. Let it rise. Oh, let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the the joy of the king rise among us. the glory, glory, of, the of, the Lord Lord the glory of the Lord rise among us the Let the glory of the Lord rise among us Let the praises the of the King rise, rise among us so Let it rise, let it rise Let the songs of the Lord rise among us Let the songs of the Lord rise among us Let the joy of the King rise among us and let it rise. Ooh, let it rise.
1: That the Falcons' motto, motto for a little bit. <laughs> 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 All right. Scripture reads from Second Timothy verses, w- chapter one, verses six through nine. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us spirit of fear, but a power. And of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You may be seated and we can dismiss our children.
2: Good morning welcome everyone this morning we'd like to welcome everyone online as well thank you all for tuning in and listening this morning we're excited to be here and continue our study in the book of Judges so if you have your Bibles if you'll open to Judges chapter 6 we're gonna pick up in verse 14 our title this morning is onlookers wanderers or willing participants And we'll cover that as we get into it. You'll understand more of the title as we go. But let's go to the Lord this morning and just ask him to speak to our hearts. Thank you so much, Lord, for being with us. We praise your holy name. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your spirit. And we just ask this morning, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. This is our purpose for being here is to worship you, to draw closer to you, and to encourage one another. And so as we do this this morning, Lord, we just pray that that all that, that you have to say would come in, that all that you have to speak to our hearts, Lord, but would penetrate this fleshly mind, anything that's blocking um, hearing and uh, all the, the worries of the world, the worries of the day, whatever it might be, we just come right now, Lord, and just put that aside and ask that you just speak directly into our hearts. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you because you do. Speak to your children. You are a God that is close. You're not sitting off in the distance just watching us. You are involved with those who allow you to be involved, who seek you, who desire you. And so we ask this morning that you come with us and be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our last study here in Judges, we saw that while the Lord's mercy does endure forever, repentance has to come before we see the fullness of His mercy. It's so important that we grasp that because many times we're going through things and, and, and we, we're seeking God. We're asking, why? Why is this happening? What's going on? And, and many times the Lord wants us to, to acknowledge and to have a sense of accountability for where we are and why we're there. And sometimes it may not be that we've done anything to create the problem, but how we respond in it is still a problem many times. And so we have to come and we say, Lord, I repent for my play and my role and whatever's going on. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're not able to see the fullness of God move on our behalf. And this is what's left out so many times in the church today. Repentance is not talked about like it should be. Sin is not talked about the way it should be. Not that we're bringing condemnation, but the truth of the Word of God brings conviction. And conviction brings repentance, and we need that repentance to receive all that God has for us. We saw what God did in Nineveh when they repented. He relented on their imminent destruction. And today, repentance needs to be preached in the church. If we pray for revival but have not acknowledged our disobedience to preach the full counsel of God's word, how can we expect to see the move of the Spirit and transform our land? How can we ask God to do something when in our own hard-heartedness, we're not all in for him? We haven't given all our all to him. Gideon, when he met the angel of the Lord, he didn't grasp this initially. He was kind of like, the first thing he says is, why don't we see the miracles that Moses saw? Why don't we see you moving and delivering us like you did out of Egypt? And they sent the prophet the prophet came and he said, listen, all these things were real. These things did happen. But because you were disobedient and did not obey my voice, that's why you're in the situation that you're in. The nameless prophet, we don't know who he was, but he gave that answer. It was disobedience. And I pray today that the church will wake up lest we go through the coming persecution sooner rather than later. It's coming, but we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared by having the, the Word of God written upon the table of our hearts that we can stand when things get tough. Now this week we'll see more insight in Gideon. We'll find out more about his personality, how he saw himself, and how his needing to see God confirmed his call before he steps out. Gideon had questions. Gideon wasn't necessarily the most confident. And in a way, that's a really good thing. Too many times we get so self-confident that we miss the fact that we don't need to be independently thinking about this. We need to be dependent upon God. So let's begin in Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If I now have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who taught with me. Now he's having a talk with the angel of the Lord, and he's still questioning who he's talking to. But he said, Show me a sign that I'm actually talking to you, and it's you who are talking with me. And so in verse 18, he said, Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and an unleavened bread from the ephah, a flour, the meat that he had put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree. And presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So the angel of the Lord, who we've already predetermined was was Jesus pre-incarnate, he comes to Gideon and he tells him in his response to Gideon's question, Why? He says, Go in the power of your might. Go, and you shall save Israel from the land of Midianites. Have I not sent you? Very important thing that we need to grab here. It's an interesting statement. Gideon was just complaining that God hadn't moved like he knew he could. He was just saying, why? Why are you allowing us to stay in captivity? Why haven't you moved like you used to? Why don't we see you doing these things? (coughs) And God (coughs) turns this. And puts it right back on his shoulders and he says, you go. Haven't I sent you? Often in our prayers and seeking God to move, we are very sincere on our request. We're we're sincere with our supplications before the Lord. Lord, move. We pray to see your spirit move. We want to see the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to see you you doing uh, miraculous things. Not because of the miracles, but because of your power. It's all about you and your power and your glory and we want to see these things happening. But the problem is we pray for change. We pray for revival, we pray for a movement of the Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. We want to see it, but we want to wait till somebody else gets up and does it. It's very easy. Have you noticed in church history when a revival or a, a movement of God breaks out? people flock to it they're flock they're followers they want to be a part of what god's doing but they don't want to be the one to initiate they don't want to be on the front end of it because number one they want to make sure it's all good and going first and there are a bunch of bandwagon people in the church we'll follow the bandwagon, we'll jump on this one, we'll jump on that one. And this fad of Christianity moves all the way across the country and everybody jumps on board with it and it fizzles because what happens is most of the time man wants to kind of do something, he wants to duplicate, he wants to copy, but he doesn't want to be completely engulfed in what the Spirit's doing. It's human nature. And it's that way across the board. We will be followers when something good's going on I mean, think about it. When a, when a new entertainer comes out, who's the first ones to follow him? I mean, you know, they get on the radio or not so much anymore. Now it's all on these whatever devices everybody has, and they follow all this stuff. Well, all of a sudden, they're a hit. Why? Because somebody somewhere posted something about somebody that everybody else jumped on bandwidth. They all want to hear it. They all want to see it. But it's got to start somewhere. And what God is saying to Gideon, I'm starting with you. If you want to see the the miraculous hand of God move on behalf of Israel, you're the one that's going to have to stand up. You're the one that I have called. Have I not sent you? We've all, we all have the same spirit. We all have access to the same power. But no one wants to be the one to step out until somebody else has. And we see that sometimes, and this this is not criticism. I'm just pointing out an observation. The times that we've had prayer up front. I can stand there a couple of minutes before anybody gets up. But once one does, others will. Nobody wants to be the first one. They don't want to bring attention to the fact that they got a problem. Listen, we've all got problems. We've all got issues. We've all got concerns. And so we want, when, when, when there's a time to pray, come, let's pray. It may be a simple thing, it may be a big thing, but put it before the Lord and don't worry about anybody else. Come on down. If the Lord says come down, come and receive the prayer. But it's not just that, it's now beyond that. It's beyond just receiving the prayer, it's receiving the call. We're living in a nation, we're living in a land where men of God and women of God need to receive the call and say yes and go and say, I don't know what it means, but I'm willing. That's all he wants. He wants a willing participant to say, yes, I'm willing. And we need to put beyond that fear or that anxiety or that that part of us that says, I I don't want to stand up. I I don't know what it means. I don't know what he's going to have me do. Wh- what if he does send me to Africa? I, I don't want to be a missionary in Africa. Well, if he wants you to go to Africa, let me give you a little, little, little tidbit here. He will give you desire. If he wants you to minister in your neighborhood, he'll give you a desire. If he wants you to be a preacher, he'll give you the desire. If he wants you to be an evangelist, he'll give you the desire. Whatever it is that he wants you to do, if you say yes, his spirit will pour into you and you will receive it and then you will know what it is to do and that desire will not leave you. It will burn in your heart until you do it. But we have to come to this place of saying yes, I will go. And put past the flesh. The fleshly mindset. Isaiah 6, 7 through 9. When he was called. We read. And he touched my mouth with the, This was a, um, a burning coal. He said he touched my mouth with it. And said behold this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Whom shall I send. And who will go for us. Then I said. Here am I. Send me. So here now is Gideon. He's had this conversation with the Lord. The Lord tells him that he has called Gideon to be the next judge. He's called him to be the next deliverer. Now after God tells him that he's sending him, Gideon now comes out and says, well, why, this can't be right. Gideon is still struggling with who he's talking to. He's still struggling with the whole concept that God is calling him. Because he says, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, I'm the runt. I can't accomplish anything. I'm out here grinding this wheat out here in the wine press at night so I won't get in trouble with the Midianites. They won't come kill me and steal all our food. I'm in hiding. We're living in caves. Why? No, no, it can't be me. It can't be me. I'm too small. I'm too weak. And this statement wasn't untrue in the physical sense. Objectively, it would make more sense in our finite mind for God to pick a larger tribe. For him to pick a stronger tribe. For him to pick a, a mighty man that stands eight feet tall and can carry you know, like like the giant did the big the big spear. He I mean of course that was that was not a good guy, but you know what I'm saying. But God says, no, I'm not after what the appearance is. I'm coming because you're the man that I've anointed to do it. Don't worry about your size. Don't worry about how big your clan is. Don't worry about about what you bring to the table. I'm going to be honest with you. When you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... All you're doing is bringing your gunk and throwing it. You have nothing else to bring. He's the one that brings the strength. He's the one that brings the power. He's the one that pours into you to accomplish his plan. You have nothing to do with it except saying yes. That's it. Now, you can be the most talented singer. You can be the most talented speaker. You can be uh, tall and handsome and good looking. I used to be until I got delivered from it. He delivered me from my hair he delivered me from my height and here I stand but I'm saying Lord yes I'll say what you tell me to say and I'll speak what you tell me to speak and we'll do what you want us to do and it may not look good on the outside but what God is saying is don't worry about any of that let me do the work and that's what he's telling Gideon here the Lord told Gideon, in verse 16 he said surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. In other words, you're not going to do much. I'm going to do it. And he would receive glory for it. God to fight the battle for them. All Gideon had to do was go. Now, here we are again. After he hears all this, the next thing he says, Now show me a sign. Are you really who you say you are? I mean, you know, is somebody pulling my leg here? where's the hidden camera i I mean this still he's he just can't believe that god is calling him he can't believe that this is really what's happening we'll see this come up again he's still doubting he still has has fears he has uh desires to understand and to know but what it does it shows us that god raises up all kinds of people gideon was not very confident in himself or his own senses if the angel of the Lord appeared to any of us today in physical form, how would we respond? <laughs> is that really you, God? I mean, you just, Poof, you know, in fire, you know, how, how, like the Mount of Transfiguration. If he showed up looking like that and he's called your name and said, I've called you to go forth, how would we respond? Show me a sign. Uh, I just did. <laughs> but this is how, how we kind of look at things. Would we say yes immediately or would we need this sign? And God was very patient with Gideon. He knew his heart. And he also knew that deep down he would go forth. He would give him this courage. It wasn't something he had, but it would come. This confidence would come out from him because the God, Spirit of God would pour into him to do these things. And that confidence may not show up within you either today. And it's okay to be afraid. But when you put that fear in the hand of God and you do not let that fear drive your decision of serving him, he then will pour into you all that you need and the power that he has to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Many of us today feel like Gideon. To see a problem is one thing. To be willing to be used in the midst of the problem is something else. All of us see the problems we see the world upside down we see things happening around us that are just completely mind-boggling how can they change the definitions of this how can they do this how how's all this going on around us we see the problem and the problem is sin but do we want to be a an effective part of the solution the only way to be an effective part of the solution is to get beyond the fact that there's a problem and say, God, use me any way you choose to be a part of this solution. It's you're the solution. I want to shout the name of Jesus. I want to be out doing what you want me to do, reflecting the light. We are the light. We need to be letting that light shine. So we need to say yes instead of hiring back. Say, wait till somebody else comes along because they'll do it better anyway. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm not this. I'm not that and god says you're right you're not any of those things but anybody else doesn't have me because i'm calling you and we have to say yes we have to be prepared to move forward the only way to get past ourselves is to come to the place where we realize it's not about us to begin with it's all about jesus it's all about his strength his spirit his power now paul praised this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 he says that God would grant you speaking to the church according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man to be strengthened with his might strengthen with his might through the spirit in the inner man now this is a transformation This is a transformation from the fleshly mindset to the spiritual mindset. It's a transformation from I can't do this and I can't do that to I'm willing to do whatever because you're the one giving me the inner strength to do it. It's denying yourself. It's accepting the fact that you don't have the power, but not staying in that place. We have to get beyond this place to where we realize, but we have to come to it initially to say, I am really nothing. I don't bring anything to the table. I'm coming as sinner. I'm coming, putting myself at the altar of God and and receiving in full the love of Jesus. It brings me back to the Father. We come to that place. But once we've done that, that is the beginning. We talked about this yesterday briefly. and We talked about it uh, in our Tuesday Bible study. The thing that we're, that, that we're really looking at is, is that we have to move beyond the prayer. The prayer is the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Today in the church, many say the prayer is the end. They don't say it, but they, they act like it. Oh, I've prayed that prayer. Now I'm going to go live my life. I can do whatever I want to now because I've got my insurance card checked. That's not... that's not the end that's the beginning and so now we say okay Lord I receive you I trust in you I believe in you I give you my heart I give you all that I am now what's next and he begins to take you into his word and it should be that the church surrounds this individual and disciples him in the word and in the spirit and brings him closer to Jesus and he is able to grow and grow and grow and then he can say here I am send me this is It's supposed to be how the church operates. It's supposed to be how we do. It's supposed to be discipleship, not just getting as many people to pray a prayer as you can. Now, you won't won't always see an altar call here. I don't end every Sunday with, if you don't know Jesus, you need to pray this prayer. I don't do that. And here's why. If the Holy Spirit tells me to, I will. If I really get this conviction that I know that somebody needs to hear this. But here's the thing. Am I saving you by what i say am i drawing you and doing anything because of what i do it's the power of the holy spirit it's the word of god and if it's not convicting the heart me standing down here and saying come down and pray a prayer is not going to change anything if the best it would get somebody in an emotional state to come and pray an emotional prayer and then move on with their life and not have any life change at all That's not my heart here. I do not want to have somebody pretend or think that they've done something that's going to save their soul from an eternal damnation because I've emotionally got them charged up. It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's His role. It's His job. All I'm here to do is to teach you the Word, to show you the Word, and let the Holy Spirit bring it to life in you because the Word is a living Word. And then I want you to go and read it for yourself. And I want you to study. And I want you to come back and we can engage and we can talk. And I want to encourage people to surround people and pray with them and encourage them in the word. And Colossians 1, 10 through 12 says, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified us who has qualified us god has qualified us the father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light you're not qualified without Jesus. Once Jesus enters your heart, once you've received him in full, you are now qualified as a child of God, and you're now qualified to be used by God. And I can tell you the truth. There are many that receive Jesus and are more fired up and have more zeal and more, more, more desire to go out and speak the word even though they know nothing except Jesus saved them, and Jesus is real, And they now have a relationship with him. That's what they have. That's all they've got. Versus a seasoned pew sitter who has heard the word for the last 50 years and does not act upon it. But just sits there. Church won't save you. The building won't save you. The chair won't save you. The coming and going won't save you. You have to have a relationship. With Jesus Christ. And this is where our confidence is found. It's Christ in us. Christ living through us. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. This takes pressure off. It really does. It takes the pressure off. There's no works involved here. There's no having to be prepared as far as physically. There's no no having to be ready before God will send you. God will prepare you. God will make you ready. You don't have to ready yourself. And knowing when he calls us, he himself will be doing the work. We just need to be willing vessels and say, here I am, send me. Now Gideon needed assurance. So this is the first of three signs. First, is this really you, Lord? Wait here while I go and prepare this offering and bring it back. The Lord waited. And after he brought the fire from the rock and the offering was laid upon, Gideon believes, but now he's afraid. He's afraid he's going to (laughs) die. Now he realizes who he's been talking to. And you know, according to Scripture, you can't see God's face face to face. Well, he's thinking, now I've seen God face to face. I'm going to die. That's really what he was feeling, what he was thinking. It, but that's not what this was about. In Exodus 33,18 through 23, I'm sure Gideon was thinking of this history. He was thinking about what Moses had said when he asked God to show him his glory. In verse 18 of Exodus 33, it says, "And Moses said, "Please show me your glory." Then he said, "I will make all my goodness as a God pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion but he said you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live and the lord said here's a place by me and you shall stand on the rock and so it shall be while my glory passes by that will put you in the cleft of the rock and i will cover you with my hand while i pass then i will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen now one thing this tells us in this passage Is that there's God the Father and then there's God the Son as we're seeing here. And the pre-incarnate Jesus came and met him face to face. He was seeing a being. He was seeing God but he was not seeing God the Father. He was not seeing the Holy God because he couldn't look upon him and live. But he was able to see this. And it tells us this, this right here breaks apart and gives us two parts of the Trinity. When we're looking at it in that perspective. When Jesus came as man he also came as God. And when he was born and the baby and he grew up, everyone could look upon him. Everyone could look upon him and live. So the Lord spoke to Gideon here and he told him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Wow, what an encounter. What an encounter Gideon's had here. Here he is threshing this grain at night in hiding and he meets the Lord. And now he knows he's met the Lord. And this is the beginning. But it's just the beginning. There's more to come in verses 24 through 32. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And he called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still an Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall tear down or cut down so Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him but because he feared his father's his father's household and the and the men of the city too much to do it by day he did it by night you still see he's walking in a little bit of fear here he's seeing midianites are huge he knows the control they have he knows the fact that they're not going to let them do anything they don't want them to do and so now he's saying okay now i've got to go out and i've got to tear down this 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 altar now i want you to notice something he's not afraid of the midianites in this case he's afraid of his fellow jewish brothers and sisters He's afraid of the fact that they're going to come after him. What does that show us? It shows us that Israel has again fallen into worshiping these false gods. They're worshiping Baal. Israel is worshiping Baal. And so he's like, okay, I'm afraid to, to do my grain because of Midianites. Now I'm afraid to do what God tells me to do here because of all my brothers, my people. They're going to come after me. They're already separated from God and following these false gods. So he did it by night. Picking up in verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he's torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If it is a God or if he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubabal, saying, Let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar. So we see Gideon now is moving forward in the call that God has called him to do. He still has some fear. He does what he told he was told to do. He got the bull. He tore down the altar of the Baal. He built up an altar to God, as, he, as God told him to. And he used the wood from Baal's altar, that carved, the carved image he he cut up and used that as the fire that was to sacrifice to the living God. did it all at night, being afraid uh, to be seen in the day. Now, this upset the people. People got mad. And they're coming in defense of their idol. And they're saying, let this man be put to death for destroying the altar to Baal and destroying the idol that we were worshiping now I do want to go back a minute because this this was evidently set up pretty close to Joash Joash was aware of this idol he was aware of this altar and probably himself whether he worshiped on it we don't know but he didn't have a problem with it he was there and he allowed it to happen but here we go. It says, Joash, I think the Spirit spoke through him. He said, no, I'm not handing you over, my son. Let Baal plead for himself. He's truly If he's really a god, let him defend himself. Let him come and take my son. Let him do what he needs to do. But I think deep down, Joash knew this was no god at all. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Let him plead for himself. Why do men have to defend their god?" And let me interject this for us as believers. We do not have to defend Jesus Christ. He is his own defense. His word is his own defense. We need to be knowledgeable in the word so that we can stand firm upon his word and let it bring offense when they bring defense. That doesn't mean we take the Bible and go beating people in the head with it. That's not what I'm talking about. In love. In kindness, in gentleness, in the fruits of the Spirit, you take the Word of God and you speak truth. If someone gets mad, that's the Word of God itself bringing that anger to the surface. To How they deal with it is between them and God. They can be angry or they can be convicted. Sometimes anger comes first, then conviction comes. And then there's a response. We We had a brother sharing about a testimony where he's where he was called to witness to someone i'll let him, he's not he's well i'll just let him share the full story but basically he goes and he asks god to say you know lord who do you want me to speak to how can i speak to and where do you want me to speak and he, he and and there's an individual that he believes the lord has him go to and he goes up and he talks to this person and says, hey can i talk to you about something the first thing that god does is get defensive and say is this is about god or religion i don't want any part of it i'm here to do something else i don't want any part of this Now, that's not the response you want to get when you first come and you feel like God's calling you to go, is it? But what did he do? He said, well, I just felt I I was told and I feel in my spirit that I needed to share with you about Jesus and know if you knew him. And so he said, but I'll go back and I'll just be over here. You know, I just felt like I needed to talk to you. And, And a few minutes later, you know, the guy came over to him and asked him, who was it that sent you? Who was it that told you? He responded in anger. He responded in defense. But then he got curious now see this is how we have to be prepared we're not all we're not going to always get the answer we want or that we expect when we share the gospel or when we when we share our testimony we may not we may get slapped in the face we may get pushed back but we're not called to save the person we're called to be obedient to what God told us to do the the fruit is in God's hands now we don't know if that individual then is going to receive the Lord and come but the truth is is that some discussion took place now a seed is planted and he was able to hear something that he wouldn't have heard five minutes earlier because he was angry but as he sat there and processed it he got curious God brought him back and we pray that the fruit would come in that situation but it's not our place to expect fruit it's our place to sow the seeds that's who we are that's what we're called to do so here we are You don't have to defend your God. Baal wasn't a God at all. and the very image of him, the wooden part was cut up and consumed by the fire on the altar of the living God. Consumed. It was done. You know, you could say poor Baal. (laughs) Poor old Baal. He's had it pretty rough. Men keep propping him up, but he just can't do anything for himself. Isaiah taunted him. He taunted him and his prophets at Mount Carmel, and Baal could do nothing. He said, if this is really your God, let him call fire down from heaven and consume the altar. Let him take this sacrifice. And these guys are dancing around, cutting themselves, doing all kinds of weird stuff. And and, and Isaiah was taunting them. Where is your God? Is he deaf? Is he asleep? What's going on? Just teasing them, basically. Nothing happened. Then what did, what did uh, Isaiah do? He went and had gallons and gallons and gallons of water and poured all over soaked it to where water was flowing out of the altar and he prayed to god and fire come down dried up every drop took every bit of that sacrifice and then he killed 400 prophets of baal baal had no defense no response there was nothing there and first samuel when the philistines took the ark of the covenant now they placed it in the house of dagon now dagon was supposedly the father of baal so this runs in the family. <laughs> he had no power either. When they put the ark in with that idol, what happened? Well, let's read about it. First Samuel 5, 1 through 4. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and, it, and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon falling on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord so they took Dagon and set it back up again always propping him up they put him in his place when they arose early the next morning there was Dagon falling on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off in the threshold only Dagon's torso was left of it the living God is a living God an idol is nothing And this is a key point for us today. All these false gods that are among us today, they're still among us. We still have Baal. We still have Ashtarah. We still have uh, Moloch. We still have these gods. Now, they're under different names. We don't call them that, as we talked about this a few weeks back. They're all under different movements. They have these movements in our culture that are coming across, and these gods are in the forefront. They're just not spoken of as who they are. And so they are nothing in comparison to the living God. They can't stand before the true living God. All we have to do is stand with Jesus. We stand with him and upon his word and obey what he calls us to do. We don't have to defend Jesus. He didn't defend himself when he went to the cross. didn't speak a word. Why? Because he didn't have to. He was obeying the Father's will. That's what he was called to do. He's alive and well. Jesus needs no defense. Now we like Gideon could ask, why hasn't he broken down these idols and these movements that have swept our country and are taken over? Why are these things happening when we see the abortion of Moloch and we see all these other movements of evil in the country, sexual sin of Ashtarah and Baal? All of these things moving around us. Why has he not destroyed these or broken down these idols? Why are they still here? We can say the same thing that Gideon asked. I believe in part it's because the church hasn't even recognized that these gods are among us anymore. We've Gone to sleep. We're not acknowledging that these things are demonic. And they are demonic. And we haven't stood upon the word of God to expose them. And we also have to look at God's timeline. All things are heading up to his return. And things are going to get bad. So I don't know his timeline. I don't know what he's going to do as far as. Is he going to relent from the imminent destruction of this land? Is he going to relent from what's going on around us. Or or raise up prophets and and teachers and evangelists to go out and speak the word we need to be doing that no matter what but what God does is is up to him Jonah didn't like it Jonah didn't want to go preach to Nineveh because he hated Nineveh we're not to hate the world we're to hate the sin in the world and we're supposed to go out and minister and and let the light shine on all those who'd receive that are in the world these sinners are out there they're all there we were of them And so now we have to come and say, okay, God, but your grace, I would be there too. Who's to know which one's going to get saved and which one's not? I mean, it could be a top leader in the country that accepts Jesus Christ. You look at that, and yeah, I kind of giggle too. I I, could not see that happening, but who am I to say it can't happen? Are we to just roll over? And say it's gone it's over it's done we have no say in it well we don't really have a say but we have a pray (laughs) and we can pray and then we can do what god calls us to do and it could be a spark in one community that the holy spirit could revive the church and transform the church i like transform better than revive i don't want to be revived to what i was i want to be transformed to what he wants me to be and then he transforms one small group and that group grows the next thing you know it moves and i'm not talking about a fad i'm talking about the power of the holy spirit i'm not talking about a program i'm not talking about a ritual i'm not talking about a you do this 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 and this is your result that's not what i'm saying i'm saying each one each believer get on their knees before the lord repent for their sin repent for the sin of of the nation repent for the church because the church has gone to sleep and then we say okay lord here we are send us now there is still something here we can think about maybe god does want to raise up another gideon maybe god does want to raise up another deborah maybe god does want to raise up another whoever to be the one to stand in the gap and say here i am send me maybe he's trying to do that right now but no one stepped up to the call if we're complacent if we're content with status quo and we say we want revival but we only want to see it that's not really praying for revival, is it? Who's the church? You are. I am. So if we're praying for a change, if we're praying for transformation, if we're praying for that, it's got to start where? Right here. This is where it starts. Not waiting for it to happen over there. It's got to start here. And it's been said before, you can either watch what happens, Be a part of what happens or wonder what happened. Where do we want to find ourselves? He's looking for willing vessels. He's looking for those to accomplish his plans. Are you an onlooker? Are you a wanderer? (laughs) Are you a willing participant? That's the challenge that the church has to ask themselves today. That's the place that we've got to come. And we have to be honest. God is not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to twist your arm and say, You're going, and that's the end of it. Now, he may that may be his plan, that you're going, and that's the end of it. But he's going to get you to the place where you receive it. Again, going back to Jonah. Jonah, go, preach to Nineveh. I ain't going. Take off. Well, I personally don't want to wake up in whale or fish vomit. It's nasty, just nasty thinking about it. Vomited up on the beach, covered in seaweed and fish acid. I bet he was bleached white. <laughs> that may have been what scared Neneva. This this ghost looking character comes in preaching the word of God and they all repent. I mean, it was supposed to be what, a three day walk? He was supposed to start and go through and it's the first day, boom, the king gets word of it. I mean, they change. Everybody, sackcloth and ashes, repent. What does Jonah do? He goes and pouts because he didn't want to see it happen. But God had a plan. And again, I don't want any of y'all to wake up in fish vomit either. I'm, all I'm saying is that God is not going to force you. But he's going to call you. He already has. He's called us to be His church. He's called us to be vessels that He wants to use. He's called us to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. What does that really mean? Think about it. If you are infilled and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, is it enough to just sit? When you know the Holy Spirit has stuff he wants you to do. He, did, he didn't just come to sit there so he could collect dust. There's an old, old gospel song years ago. It was Dust on the Bible. Do you remember that old song? Dust on the Bible, dust on his holy word. Well, we can be dusty. We can be dusty believers. We can be unused. We can be sitting collecting dust. And God says, listen, I'm willing to take you off this shelf. But you've got to say, here I'm willing to go. And there's the challenge. And I know it's not something that any of us, is it's easy for us to do because a lot of us have jobs. I still work full-time as well. I'm not a full-time pastor. Many of you retired. I'm calling on the retirees first. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I know that God has got a plan for each one of us, and it doesn't matter what your position in life is as far as your, your work or your non work. It doesn't matter about where you live. It doesn't matter about what you have, what you don't have. It doesn't matter about anything, except it matters if you love Jesus. Have you received Jesus? Have you decided to walk in Jesus? And are you willing to let Him do this work in you and through you? And we can say, yes, again, I'm willing. But then we go home, we get back in our little closet, and we stay there. And comfort zones. We all have them. We all have our comfort zone. God doesn't want to keep you in a comfort zone. He wants you To be where he wants you to be. Now that goes against. When you think about it. The fleshly nature of man goes against the spirit of God. The flesh wrestles against the spirit. The spirit wrestles against God. This is an ongoing battle. Paul talked about it when he wrote that. And so we have this battle. This fleshly battle. The flesh says. I'm afraid to go. And the spirit says. Go whether you're afraid or not. Because I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to accomplish the plan. And so there's the battle. Yes, Lord, or no, Lord? I want to, Lord, but I'm afraid. Is this really you, Lord? Am I really supposed to do this? Is this the call? I don't know. Show me a sign. Well, here's your sign Jesus. Jesus is your sign. He loves you, He died for you, He forgave you of your sin. He planted the spirit of God within you so that you now can say, yes, Lord. I'm willing. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do what you call me to do.